0: Hey, my name is Josh, and I'm so happy to be here this weekend. Uh, My wife and I are in Detroit, Michigan, starting a brand new church. It's called Cross and Anchor Church, and uh, we've just been on the ground in Detroit for a few months. We're building our team. Uh, We're doing all of the the things that you do to get a church ready to go, and uh, we're just at the very beginning stages. We just had our first vision night for the city just last week or a week and a half ago, uh, we've got another one coming up in July. We're thrilled to be there. Uh, Detroit, I don't know what you know about Detroit, but I want to say that probably what you know about Detroit is not the whole story. Um, Detroit is really on the rise. Uh, it's, it's like on the come up. It's totally changing. It's being revitalized. It's growing. It's not the city it was five years ago. It's not the city it was 10 years ago. Uh, it's really, really changing and We're just so thrilled to be there at this point in Detroit's history because I believe it's going to be so much better in the future. I just believe Detroit's best days are ahead of it, and um, we believe that's true not just in the city but spiritually speaking as well because about eight out of every ten people in Detroit don't have a relationship with Jesus, and uh, that's a sobering statistic, and we're not okay with that. And we believe that God wants to do something about that in the city. And he is doing something about it, but we want to join him in that process. So Cross and Anchor is going to be launching in early 2019, Lord willing. And if you know anybody in the Detroit area who's looking for a church, we'd love it if you'd let them know. Uh, I even brought some information out in the lobby. If you want to get some more info on the church, it's this little booklet. It looks like this. And you can find us on social media, Instagram, Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, Cross and Anchor Church, and um, please pray for us if you think about it. If you brought a Bible, you can turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Book of Galatians, chapter 5, that's where we're going to start this morning. And uh, I believe that God has something He wants to speak to us this morning. How many came to church with an expectation to hear from God? Okay, well, we can work with that. The other half of you, God can still speak anyway. So, What we believe here at Harvest is that God has spoken to us through his word, and he speaks to us through his word, and so we want to hear what he has to say. We don't want somebody's opinion. We don't want someone's thoughts. We don't want what culture has to say. We want to hear what God has to say, and so every weekend we open this book. I am here this weekend because Pastor Johnny is on sabbatical with his wife and his family, so please be praying for them that they would enjoy that time of a way, a way they'd be refreshed and encouraged. How many know you guys have a fantastic lead pastor and his wife? I think you just need to be thank, thanking the Lord for them. Yeah, you can clap for that. And if this is your first weekend, I'm sorry. Um, come back when Johnny's preaching and you'll realize why this church is growing. And uh, no, God is really using him. And how about this worship team? Like they are like from another world. Where do you find these people? Um, We need to find some of these people in Detroit. But you guys got something special happening here. I think you need to praise the Lord for that. We're a part of the Vertical Church Network, uh, the Harvest Family of Churches. You can tell because I'm bald. Um, That's the prerequisite. If you have hair and you're good looking, you might get in. But it's actually not going to help you. You got to be bald, and then you can for sure a vertical church. Um, God can just, he doesn't have as much to get through to speak to you, you know, like just right into the brain. So, oh yeah, we're gonna talk about the Bible and stuff. Um, no, just kidding. Galatians chapter five, let's just pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you're faithful even when we're faithless, that you always come through, that you're never late, You're always on time, and you have a word for us this morning. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way. I pray our hearts would be open to receive from you, and that you would change us as we not just hear your word, but leave and then do your word. God, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to start this morning, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and I'm going to be reading from the ESV. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I wonder if we could just read that together. I think that's some really powerful stuff. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, I don't know about you, but when I read this list, I want these things. I mean, who doesn't want more love, in their life? Who doesn't want peace? Who doesn't want faithfulness? How many know we need faithful people in our world today? We need to be faithful people in our world today. I, I know that we need gentleness. We need kindness. We need, I know I need some self-control. I mean, the keto diet is great, but I'm having a hard time, right? I need me some self-control, and as you look at these fruits of the Spirit, imagine kind of like a cluster of bananas. I think you could look and say, man, I, I love that joy. I want some of that. I mean, that peace looks amazing. We all desire to have those things in our life. And I want to really focus this morning on one of these fruits of the Spirit, and that is the, the fruit of joy. Joy. How many people know we need some more joy in our world today. Man, our world is seriously lacking some joy. I mean, if I were to ask you right now, who do you think of when you think of a joy-filled person? You can probably think of them pretty quickly because they stick out. They're different. If you have joy in this world, it is uncommon. It's rare. And I think that we need more of that in our world today. In fact, I would say of the fruits of the spirit. I mean, I love all of them, and I'm fond of every single one, and they're kind of a package deal. Like you don't just get a pick and choose like you as you're walking with God start to have all these things in your life, but I do have a special kind of fondness for joy. I just think joy is so incredible. Joy is so powerful. You see, joy has the ability to catapult you above your circumstances. Joy has the ability to kind of be a barrier between you and the things that can come at you in life. Joy has the ability to make a difficult, almost unbearable circumstance, one that you get through, and not just get through, but you rise above and you walk on water through. Joy's not just like this optional add-on, right? It's not like you can say, yes, I would like that. You have to have joy in this life if you're going to make it. It's a necessity. And if we wanna know how to have joy, I think we need to start by looking at the person who was the most joy-filled person who ever lived. And who would that be? Well, just like in Sunday school, the answer is Jesus, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus had joy. Turn to your other neighbor, the one you ignored the first time, and say, I want joy. We need joy, and Jesus had joy. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse two, speaking about Jesus, talking about how he would die and what he would do for mankind, it says that he did it for a specific reason. It says, it was for the joy set before him, Hebrews 12, two, that Jesus endured the cross that's some intense joy. Some some kind of joy that would get you through the most excruciating, painful, horrendous death that anyone has ever suffered. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that kind of joy in my life. And so I've called this morning's message, Joy to Die For. Joy to die for. You see, Jesus endured the worst kind of death imaginable to obtain this joy. But oftentimes, it's just the minor inconveniences that rob us of our joy, right? Like driving with other people on the road um, can rob us of joy. Uh, Like, I don't know about you, but trying to pay for something with Apple Pay sounds like a great idea, until you try to do it, right? It's like, I, I scanned my thumb, I it scanned my face. I, like, I put my arm in the phone and nothing happened. Like, why? Why is this not working? These little things can kind of rob us of joy. I know for me, uh, my wife and I, we, who she would love to be here, by the way. Her name is Emily, and she's the most amazing girl on the earth, and uh, I wish you could have met her. She's back in, in Detroit, holding the fort down while I'm out here. But we've been married for a few years now, and we went on our honeymoon, and we, w- we gotta go to Europe which was a really, really big blessing, amazing trip, trip of kind of a lifetime. And we went there for our honeymoon and we got a drive. Uh, we drove through France, we drove through Italy. And I don't know if you know this about Europe, but it's about, I think, ish, the same size land-wise as the U.S. I don't know the exact numbers, but ish. And it has, it has twice the population of the U.S. So a lot of people scrunched into a smaller space. So everywhere we would go there would be traffic and there would be tons of people and it was a little bit annoying at times and one time we were driving through Italy and we bumped into this crazy traffic and we were going nowhere. Like bumper to bumper traffic just sitting there and I didn't realize we were going to hit this traffic and I had not planned or prepared and I needed to relieve myself. Just say like that. You get the picture. You've been there, right? This was like not just, no, I think I, it was like emergency SOS. If I don't get out of the car soon, I, I might die. I don't know. So I tell my wife, I'm like, hey, babe, I'm going to run over here, try to find a restroom, or they call it a toilet over there. It's so gross. What, come on, Europe. Don't you kids you be a little bit more sophisticated? But they call it a toilet. So I'm like, I got to go find a restroom. So why don't you just jump over into the driver's seat? and you're just going to move like a few feet down the road because there's hardly like no one's moving and I'm just going to go and I'll come right back and my wife looks at me and she's like like uh kind of freaking out because she hasn't driven the car not both of our cell phones have international data and she's probably like kind of like worried like what's going to happen but I've got to go right I'm like sorry babe so I jump out of the car I thought I had put it in park um It was in drive, so it started moving forward. She jumps into the driver's seat. She slams the brakes. She misses the car in front of us. We don't hit it, but she gives me this look. I haven't been married for long at this time, but I know that this is not the kind of look that I want to be receiving. How many husbands know what I'm talking about? Yeah? It's, uh, as my friend says, it's the Wi-Fi. You know, the Wi-Fi. It's like, this is not good. So I jump out of the car, I get back, I'm coming back to the car now. It took a lot longer than I thought. I couldn't find a place to go to the restroom. And so I'm running back as fast as I can, like, because it's been a while. And so I'm like, she's probably out of traffic. I don't know where she went. I'm trying to get back to her. I'm running down the side of the street as fast as I can. And I am like booking it. All the traffic is coming this way. I'm running, running. And then I just bite it. I slid. I slid. Emphasis on slide down the asphalt. But what do you do, right? You're a man, so you bounce back up. No, no problem, I'm a man. So I just get up, I see this guy looking at me through his windshield like this. But I'm like, I got to find my wife. So I'm running, I'm running. I try to get back to her as quick as I can. And about half a block down the road, my body's like, hey, warning sign. You're actually uh, having a hard time right now. I look at my leg and it's like, have you ever seen a Wendy's hamburger patty? Um, (laughs) Like the square, uh, small, tiny... So I'm like, this is not good. My hand's really bleeding profusely. And I finally find my wife. She had pulled over onto the side of the road and she was smart. She parked the car there. She waited for me. And I knew I was coming into a dangerous situation because I had just left her alone in the middle of Europe on our honeymoon. Bad husband move, right? But I anticipated this. So I come up to the car and I just say, I had a fall. <laughs> the anger turned to compassion. We worked it out. We're still married. It's all good. But all this to say that even in the best of times, even when you're having the most fun in your life, you're not exempt from hardships. Difficult things can arise in the middle of what you thought was just this euphoric time. And so we need to be able to have the kind of joy that goes above our circumstances, We need to have the kind of joy that I believe Jesus had. Jesus was a person marked by joy. That's our first point this morning, marked by joy. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of Jesus. I think some people think of like a pretty serious guy. Um, You know, he had some really intense things to say. Maybe he's just standing there with his sash like he was just in a beauty pageant. And his hair is flowing in the wind. His beautiful blonde surfer locks. And he's stand, just kind of pictured basically like me, like somebody like me. And uh, I don't, people think of weird things when they think of Jesus. Maybe he's holding a sheep, you know, like I don't know what the paintings. You're, maybe he's lying down at the table. But when people think of Jesus, I don't know exactly why, but we don't always think of a person who was like filled with joy. When you think of Jesus, do you think of somebody who would have been smiling? When you think of Jesus, do you think of somebody who would have been fun to be around, who would have been cracking jokes with his disciples? When you think of Jesus, do you think of somebody who was just filled with joy? Because I believe he was. And I can prove it to you. Little kids love to hang out with Jesus. And little kids don't like to hang out with people who aren't fun, right? They only gravitate toward the fun uncle, the fun aunt, the fun person, right? Jesus was fun. He was filled with joy. You see, Jesus would have had the fruits of the Spirit, right? All of them, love, peace, patience, kindness. And he wouldn't have just had them. He would have had them to the max. He would have been not just, you know, loving, kind, joyful, he would have been the most loving, the most kind, the most joyful person that you've ever met in your life. That was Jesus. And so it makes sense that if Jesus was marked by joy, then we as his followers should also be marked by joy. I have a question. When people think of you, what is the defining characteristic that comes to their mind about you? When your name runs across the Rolodex of someone's mind, Rolodex, who even uses that anymore? Uh, Like, I'm going back 30 years. But when your name comes across someone's mind, do they think, oh, yeah, Steve is so pessimistic. Jill is so irritable. Dan is so easily frustrated. Or do they think, man, they're filled with joy. Because our world is looking for people like that. And it's because the devil knows that our joy is such a powerful weapon against him to turn people to Jesus that he will do everything he can to attack your joy the devil will try to rob you of joy in any way possible that he can, whether it's rubbing your past in your face and making you feel guilt and condemnation or making you feel like you shouldn't be enjoying the things that God has given you and blessed you with or whether it's a full-on attack of you and your family and your health, the devil will try to come against your joy in any way that he can because he knows that your joy is gonna turn people to Jesus. You see, one of the best weapons in our arsenal in terms of showing the world who Jesus is and how they can live a life filled with meaning and purpose is a life that's marked by joy. So don't let the devil rob your joy. Make it high on your priority list that no matter what happens in your life, you are not gonna let the enemy rob you of the joy that God wants to give you. You ever meet those Christians that look like they've been like baptized in lemon juice? Like so sour, so angry, so Facebook. Oh my gosh, I can't believe. Obama. It's like, you know, Trump. Like they're always mad, they're always angry. Oh, the world is so, yes, the world is horrible. That's why Jesus came to save horrible people of which you and I, are in that category. And so we're not gonna win the world by being angry at the world. If God wanted to be angry and condemn the world, he would have sent a condemner. But he wanted to save the world, and so he sent a savior, a person who loved the world, a person who cared about people, a person who was filled with joy. So are you filled with joy this morning? Don't let anger and politics and all the stuff happening in the world get you down because you, my friend, are of a different source. You are of a different DNA. You have the creator living inside of you, the one who controls the universe, and so you don't have to let the devil rob you of joy for one second of your life. We need to be marked by joy. Our next point this morning is that there's a lot of misconceptions about joy. Isn't there? Like, we need to have the right definition of joy. When we're talking about it, we gotta be on the same page, or we could just completely miss each other. You ever have somebody who uses the wrong word at the wrong time, or they think they're using the right word, but it's actually incorrect? Any grammar people in here? People who are, yeah. Okay, how about this? Literally and figuratively, right? Literally means it's exactly like this it's not an exaggeration it's not hyperbole it's exactly like this figuratively means the opposite like it's a picture I'm trying to give you an idea of how it is but we're always saying oh it's literally the worst day of my life oh it's literally like I don't know if I'm going to be able to eat anymore you know I uh, I had a friend, he was trying to get somebody who worked for him a raise, and he was like, Brian is literally the oil that makes this machine run. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I thought Brian was a human, uh, like with blood inside of him and water. You see, if you use the wrong definition of something, it's going to lead to problems. Problems. And speaking of the wrong definition, the way that the dictionary defines joy is not what I think the Bible would define joy as. The dictionary defines joy as this, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. A feeling of great pleasure and happiness. I don't think that's what the Bible defines joy as. And by the way, just side note, I wonder how many of us are having problems in our life because we're living under the dictionary definition of something, or we're living under the cultural definition of something, but we're not living under what God defines something as? Because I guarantee you, if you put your life in the rule of what God says and let him define things, it'll be a game changer for you. Just a side note. Okay, so bad definitions leading to problems, joy, is not a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not really what the Bible would say that joy is. Joy can include those things, but it's so much more than that. It's like if you're in a garage, it doesn't make you a car, right? Happiness and joy can exist together at the same time, but they aren't the same thing. You see, joy is not a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. In fact, joy isn't necessarily a feeling at all. I don't know about you, but for me, my feelings are like up, down, in flux, over here, over there, high one minute, low the next. My feelings are pretty unreliable. But the Bible tells me that I'm supposed to have joy. So if my feelings are all over the place, how can I base my joy on my feelings? You see, joy is more than that. And joy is not happiness. Happiness is great. Happiness can come from great relationships. Happiness can come from enjoying the blessings that God's given you. Happiness can come in lots of different forms, but happiness can also come from bad things. Me getting, uh, you know, or not me, but somebody getting a, a divorce from their spouse might make them feel happy in the moment, but that's not where joy is based. Me choosing to sin or do something that God says not to do, it might make me feel happy, but that's not joy. So joy and happiness aren't the same thing either. And another misconception about joy, maybe the most common one, is that joy is based on your circumstances. If you're doing good, if life is going good, then everything is good. But if life is going bad and things are on the down and out, then I'm not good. But Jesus wasn't like that. Isaiah 53.3, talking about Jesus, it said that he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. So how can you be somebody who is a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and yet at the same time be so filled with joy? And we've already established Jesus went through like the most horrendous death ever in the history of humanity. And so if we're basing joy on our circumstances, then Jesus shouldn't have had joy. By the way, why do we think that if Jesus, the Son of God, had a difficult life and had challenges and hardships, that our life is supposed to be easy and challenge-free? That's just not how it works. There are difficulties in life. We go through hard things, but God wants to give us something that goes above all those things. God wants to give us something that is deeper and that is greater and that goes to a depth that you didn't even know was possible. You see, joy is powerful. Joy is so extremely powerful that I could, I could tell you right now, I'm going through the worst moment of my life, which I'm not, but I could be going through that and I could still have joy. You could go into the hardest trial of your life, whatever that could be for you, and you can still have joy. And that's what this world is desperately longing for. And that's what God offers us. So joy is not based on your circumstances. It's not a feeling. It's not happiness. So what is joy? What is joy? What is joy? Well, here is a definition, I think, that you could give to joy. And you can take notes if you want to. I believe that this lines up with the message of the Scripture, and we'll talk about that more in depth. But you could say that this is joy. Joy is the soul finding its satisfaction in God. Joy is your soul finding its satisfaction in God. That's what you were made for. You were made to experience joy like you've never experienced before. And that joy comes in connection with God. You see, if you're trying to base your joy on the stuff of this world and on your circumstances, it's very shaky. It's very unreliable. Maybe it's here today and maybe it's gone tomorrow. And so that's why I would tell you to base your joy on something eternal, something that will never change, something that you can count on, something that will anchor you in the most severe storm you could go through, something that will always be there, someone who will never leave you and never forsake you, a person who has promised that he will never change. And that, my friends, is Jesus Christ. That is God. God is the only one who can make those promises and come through on him, on them. And so if you're looking for a reliable foundation for your joy, you need to base it on Jesus. Jesus is where true joy is found. And let me tell you this, if you're looking to things in this world for joy, you're never gonna find them. You can dig a well. Jeremiah talks about this. You can dig a well and you can go so deep and you can find that that water never fully quenches your thirst and you keep digging the well deeper and deeper and deeper and it never never ultimately fulfills you. Whether you look to wealth or you look to people or you look to pleasure or you look to whatever it is, ultimately, it's gonna come up empty in the long run. But Jesus said, I am the living water And if you drink from this well, you will never thirst again. Do you want your soul's thirst quenched? It's in Jesus. Jesus. Now, I know that might sound like, oh, well, that's great. You know, awesome. Like, well, how do I get that? How do I know this joy that can never go away? Well, it comes in a relationship with God. It comes when we ultimately give our lives to him, when we experience what the Bible calls salvation, when we turn to Jesus and say, I'm done looking to the things of this world to satisfy me, and I'm turning around, and I'm now living my life for you. That's where it starts. But we still go through hard times, right? even when we make that decision, even when we make that pivot in that turn and give our lives to Jesus, we're still going through difficult times. We're still going through challenges. And even as, after we've made that decision, we sometimes find it hard to have joy. So how do we have joy if we've already given our lives to Jesus and we're finding that it's hard to keep that joy? Well, Romans 8.28, I think, is really the answer. You know this verse. It's not like probably gonna blow your mind But the problem isn't us knowing it, the problem is us believing it. It says, Romans 8, 28, that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. So you could add this onto our definition of joy. We start with the soul finding its satisfaction in God and then you could say, and it's believing that God is in control and I know like that's something you've heard a million times. You're like, I came to church this morning to hear God is in control. Yes, you came to church this morning to hear that God is in control because you need to know it. You need to believe it because when circumstances are shaky, we start to doubt. Just like Peter walking on water, we see the waves and we say, I think I'm gonna sink. We get our eyes off Jesus. You need to know that God is in control. But honestly, knowing that God's in control by itself isn't enough to have joy. Because if God's in control, but he's out to get me, well then, that just makes me fretful. I'm just worried, I'm anxious. Because God is sovereign, this big, omnipotent, all-powerful being, he's in control, but does he really have my best interest at heart? Well, that's why we continue on with Romans eight twenty-eight, that he works all things together for our good. God is thinking in every situation, in every circumstance, in every trial, in every difficulty, I'm gonna work this for their good. So you can have joy when things get tough because you know a God who never changes. You can can choose joy before you know the outcome because you know the one who controls the outcome. You know the one who has promised and who is faithful that he will never change and that he will come through on everything he said, that he's gonna work it all for your good. One day, my friends, we're gonna stand before God and we're gonna maybe look back on our life and guess what? Not one of us is gonna say, hmm, I don't know what you were doing there. I don't think that was good. I think you could have done that a little bit differently. No, 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 all of us are gonna stand before God and we're gonna behold his glory and we're gonna know his infinite wisdom and we're gonna say, wow, God, you couldn't have done it any better. That was perfect. How did you bring such good out of such bad? You see, the Bible doesn't say everything is good. It says he works it all together for good. And if the God who turned the worst moment in history, the death of Jesus Christ, the death of God into the most victorious moment in human history, the resurrection from the dead and the salvation that it brought for people like you and me, then you can trust no matter how bad it gets, it's gonna turn good, my friends. God's not gonna forget about you. He's gonna come through on the promise. He's gonna deliver in the moment it needs to happen because he's good. And I think maybe you just needed to hear that this morning. God is good, and he knows what's happening in your life. I love God. <laughs> Isn't he just so good? That just brings so much joy, so much joy. It's, it's, it's incredible, it's uncontainable, it's, it's maximum joy. It's our last point this morning, maximum joy. Here's the deal, God didn't create you for just like a little bit of joy. God didn't create you with like, oh, here's enough to get through the weekend on joy. No, God wants you to have like the most maximum joy-filled capacity that you could ever have. Whatever joy you're experiencing right now, God wants to just increase and expand it. There's not one thing that God will tell you to do that won't make your joy greater. I can prove it to you. Look at the Bible. It talks about this in so many places. Psalm eighty four eleven: no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly, nothing. You think you're missing out on something? You're only missing out if you're not obeying God. If you obey God, you're not gonna miss out on one thing. Look at this, John fifteen eleven. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. John 16, 24, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. 1 John 1, 4. John, talking about why he's writing the entire book, he says this, we write this to make your joy complete. God is concerned about your joy. God cares about your joy. In fact, God is more committed to your joy than you are. We miss out on joy because we choose to do things at times that disobey God. We're like, yeah, God, I know you said to do it like this, but I think this is gonna be a little bit better. And I guarantee you, every time you do that, you'll look back and say, I missed out. I can't think of one time in my life where I've chosen to disobey God And then I've said, yeah, that was a pretty good decision. Worked out pretty well. No, 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 no. Any regret we have is from a time we've chosen to disobey God. Now, God's so good and he's so gracious that he can even take the disobedience and turn it into something that's amazing. So don't think that because you made a mistake that God's done with you or that because you made a bad decision that you should just go ahead and give it up. That's actually the devil speaking to you. Because God says, like the prodigal son, you always can come home. And I will take this and I'll redeem it. I'll do something good with it. Look at Jonah, right? You guys know the story of Jonah in the belly of the whale, three days and three nights. He disobeyed God. God said, go to Nineveh. He chose to get on a ship going to Tarshish. It's like God said, go to New York. And he's like, I'm going to Los Angeles. He went the opposite direction of God. But God is faithful. And so God sent a storm to get Jonah back on course. You see, people look at the storm sometimes and they think, man, God's out to get me. Yes, God is out to get you. He's out to get you back to where he wants you to be. He's out to get you back to where you need to be, to where you can have joy again. And so God allows this storm, they throw Jonah overboard. He's in the belly of the whale. He finally says, God, I'm sorry. And the whale just on to Nineveh, where he was supposed to be. That's pretty awesome, right? Like, I want that to happen sometime. Like, God says, go here, and I just end up there. That's pretty cool. But then you look at the story of Jonah, and you're like, man, what a, what an interesting story. Even the end of the book, he's, like, complaining. It's, a real, it's, it's not really a story about, oh, look at this great prophet. It's like, here's this guy who was messed up, and God used him which is really the story of the whole Bible, by the way. So there's hope for you and me. But the story of Jonah, you look at it and you're like, man, this guy's a loser in some ways, you know? Hate to be hard on him because I know I've made mistakes. But then Jesus comes and Jesus is talking to people and he says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so the son of man, Will be in the heart of the earth. What? God used Jonah's disobedience to be a picture of what Jesus would do in the future? God took someone's mistake and made it a blessing? God chose to use someone who was messed up and stubborn and disobedient and have the Son of God come and use him as an example of what can happen when we put our faith in Jesus. Yes, God will take it all and he'll work it for good because he wants us to have maximum joy. And so I don't know what you're coming in here with this morning. Maybe you feel like I'm not really living that kind of secure, joy-filled life that I should. Well, God brought you here today because he wants to bring you to that. Maybe your joy is shaky because you really have been looking too much at the things of the earth to bring you fulfillment and meaning and purpose. And sometimes God will allow those things to be taken away so he can say, hey, you gotta rely on me, not on this stuff. That's why Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust doesn't destroy, where a thief can't break in and steal. Because too oftentimes we're laying up treasure just here on earth. And then it goes away and our joy goes away because our joy was attached to that. Like if I were to tell you today, hey, you got a check coming on Tuesday for a million dollars. Reliable, for sure gonna happen. It's not one of those scams like the guy from Africa. I need help in my ministry to, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like actually real. The million dollars is coming through. And then on Monday, someone came and stole five bucks from you. How upset are you going to be about that? Ultimately, not much, right? It's like, it's just five bucks. I've got a million bucks coming. But if you were barely making ends meet and you didn't know where your next meal was coming from, and then someone came and stole that five bucks from you, you might be a little bit more frustrated about that. You see, some of us are living as if all of our treasure and everything was just here on earth. And when someone takes the five bucks from you, you're freaking out. How can I keep going? I had all of this and now I just have this. My friend, what's coming for you ahead is so much greater than anything you give up here on earth. In fact, the only ones who lose out in the end are the ones who invest everything into the here and now and not the ones who put the most into the there and the then. We've got to have an eternal perspective. That's why Jesus had the joy he had. Going back to the verse that we started with in Hebrews 12, it says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? It was eternity. It was you and I being redeemed. It was us in this room right now. Jesus had this moment pictured when we would put our faith in him and be given new life and would dwell with him for eternity. The joy that Jesus had in mind was something that would last forever. And so I tell you this morning, it's not that your capacity for joy is too big Maybe it's too small. You're only thinking about the here and now. You've got to think about what's up ahead. I think it was Jim Elliott who said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If your joy is stored in heaven in eternity, it's secure. No one can take it. No one can steal it. And that's the key to having the most joy possible. Lastly, I just want to say this. Psalm 16, 11. it says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence is fullness of joy. Where is the most joy found possible? In the presence of God. You see, what makes heaven great is not that it's gonna be perfect, that it's gonna be some utopia where there's no more sickness and no more disease and no more death. What makes heaven great is not just the fact that we're gonna be reunited with loved ones who love Jesus as well. All those things are fantastic. But what makes heaven heaven is that Jesus is there. He's the treasure. He's the reward. It's in his presence that there's fullness of joy. So God's not holding out on you. He's not trying to hold anything back from you. He wants to give you the most joy possible. And he knows that that joy is found in Jesus. And so he says, here, come to me, drink and let your thirst be quenched. Eat and let your soul be filled. I'll satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. And so many of you this morning, you've already come to that place where you've given your life to Jesus. And that's amazing, that's the beginning, that's salvation, that's new life. And I am so thankful that many of you have made that decision and you've given your heart to God and you know you're gonna be with him forever and you just kinda needed a tweak and a reminder that joy is found in Jesus and not on your circumstances and that you can trust him, that he's in control, that he's good. And maybe there's some of you here this morning who have never trusted in Jesus. I don't know your story, I don't know where you came from, I don't know what brought you to church this morning. I'm not gonna assume that just because you're in church that you're a Christian. That's the worst assumption we can make. In fact, the devil loves that. He loves people just coming to church, coming to church, coming to church, thinking that they're good with God when they've never given their life to him and had their eyes open to what it means to walk with him. I grew up in church. I'm a Midwest boy, born and raised. Kansas, grew up going to church every weekend. My mom was involved in church. My mom worked at the church. I went to a Christian school. How many know that going to a Christian school doesn't do anything for your salvation? I experienced that. But I did all those things. And if any of those things could have saved me, they, they would have, but I didn't know God. I was a rebellious kid. I got in trouble all the time. I almost got expelled from school. I know it's hard to picture But I was pretty much a jerk. I was just a jerk. And then God came to my life. I, I went to another church service at a different church. And it wasn't like my church was bad, but for whatever reason, this weekend, my eyes were opened to the fact that God loved me, that God wanted a relationship with me, that Jesus died for me. And I remember the pastor saying, Jesus has a radical love for you. And it was like I had never heard it before. I don't know if you had moments like that. Like maybe you've heard something a lot, but you hear it one time and then you really hear it. And God changed my life. I remember just believing that truth, surrendering my life to him. And then I went to that school that I had been such a jerk at, and the next year I started a Bible study. People were like, who is this kid? And my life just radically changed because that's what God does. He comes in and changes your life. And so I'm not asking, are you religious? I'm not asking, do you come to church? I'm not asking, do you own a Bible? I'm not even asking, do you read it consistently? I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? Has he transformed your life? Have you been saved? Have you been set free? Has there been a transformation that you can point to? I know for me, like, If I were to tell you this morning, hey, if I walked in here, I'm like, hey, I just got hit by a Mack truck. You'd be like, hmm, curious. Uh, I don't see any holes in your clothing. Your bones seem to be intact. Uh, There's no real evidence that you've been hit by something of that magnitude. Yet there's people who say, I'm a Christian. I've given my life to God. But where's the noticeable impact? Like, if you've given your life to God, if the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, you would think that someone who has God on the inside would be somebody who's radically different than other people, right? I'm telling you that Jesus Christ lives inside of me and yet my life is no different than yours? No, 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 no. When God comes in, he changes everything and you don't have to clean up to come to him, he's come to you. He said, I know you're messed up, I know you're broken, I know you're a sinner and that's why I came is to save you and to set you free. And I don't know if that's anyone in this room this morning and maybe you're like, yeah, I've heard that story a million times. Well, hey, isn't it worth it if there's just one this morning who doesn't know that truth and could give their life to Christ and have their eternity changed? I believe it is. God, we thank you that you are in this place right now. We thank you that Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Lord, I just wanna pray for my friends this morning here at Harvest Winston. I'm so thankful for this church planting network that we're a part of. I'm so thankful for what you're doing in North Carolina. I'm so thankful for every person here and for the people that you've impacted through this ministry. And I believe there's even greater things to come. Help us to believe that this morning. And I just wanna pray for anyone here who doesn't yet know the joy that comes in Jesus Christ. While we're praying and while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, this is just a moment between you and God. Is there anyone who would be honest enough to say, you know what, I don't think I have given my life to Jesus. I don't think I do know what it means to really have that joy that comes through a relationship with him. If that's you this morning, I just wanna pray with you. And I wanna give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna pray a prayer and there's nothing magic about this prayer. It's not like something from Harry Potter. It's just putting words into your heart that you can tell to God. And so I want you to tell this to God if this is your moment where you're giving your life to him. I just want you to say between you and him, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong things. I know I need forgiveness. I give my life to you. Would you come inside of me? Would you change me from the inside out? Would you make me new? And fill me with your spirit. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, can we celebrate those who are putting their faith in Jesus Christ for the first time this morning? Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. Hey, if that was you and you prayed that prayer, what I want you to do is before you leave today, this is so important, you need to find me or one of the elders. Uh, Can the elders raise their hands? Okay, yeah, we've got a couple of around. Or go to the front desk when you walk by this morning and please Tell somebody, I gave my life to Jesus this morning. Because it's not, that's just the beginning. That's not the end. We want to help you get connected. We want to get you plugged into community. We want to help you get surrounded by people who have that same heart to serve God and follow Him. Because it's not enough to just make that decision. You got to get plugged in with people if you really want to see your life change. And I, I know that that's happening here at Harvest Winston all the time. And I'm just so excited for what the future holds. Don't we serve an amazing God? Isn't He good? all the time, yes.